Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today, we're searching for Jesus outside of the Bible. So it's not heresy, it's, come on, no, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is, I, I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but. And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. All right, this is actually one of my favorite subjects. Um, we talk about this in the resurrection class, which I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, but I've said it plenty in the class that this is it. The resurrection of Jesus is probably one of the most important classes that we have at Trinity. Just yeah. because, and in fact, my class isn't the only class we talk about the resurrection. You talk about it in your class too, because it's just so important. And this is one of the things that we talk about in in those classes. It's important for people to know. Uh, interestingly, when I talk to people at church, they're surprised to hear that Jesus is actually mentioned outside of the Bible yeah. early, you know. Yeah, you know, but, there are people who uh, that, that would be surprised to find that he's mentioned outside the Bible. There are also people that are Christians who, who might suspect there's more, actually, outside the Bible than what there is. Because yeah. we don't have just a lot of material. And it may be surprising that there's not more than there is. Yeah. So it could be surprising either way, I think. Right. And we're not just talking about Christian literature. I mean, uh, Clement's letter to the Corinthians, of course, is pretty mm -hmm. early and it mm -hmm. talks about Jesus. But we're, we're, we're primarily, but not exclusively, talking about early documents not written by Christians yeah. per se. Now, there are a lot of early documents outside of the Bible that also do talk about Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you about something because... Um, Matt and Billy in their podcast uh, attempted to do our kind of banter, but they failed. <laughs> While did they admit to failing? No, but they oh, failed. Okay. I, I'm <laughs> saying that they failed, but they happened to mention the fact that we do that. Now, um, I want to ask you how you feel today because today is your third anniversary as President Braxton Hunter of Trinity College oh, of the Bible. Is it? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, um, then I suppose I feel good about it. You feel good? Do you? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> you thought you, I was going to say, tell you us thought about, you'd get more tell, content. Yeah, out what, of that. what is, uh, uh, has anything changed yeah, since you've been president? It has. From okay, when I became president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, two things happened. Number one, a lot of the churches that used to have me come and speak to their congregations 
stopped having me come, and occasionally I'll find out from some particular pastor, it's because they assumed once they saw everywhere that I was president of a Bible college, I don't do that anymore. I do that anymore, <laughs> and you can have me come do that. Uh, but uh, kind of to help with that, what did happen as a result was <laughs> I had fewer and bigger, I have fewer and bigger events now. So uh, it could sound braggy, but I actually don't mean it because I love the church meetings. Right, because he will come but, to any church of any size for a love offering. Yeah, I don't yeah. even I don't even require that. You do whatever you want. But yeah. but the thing about it Pay is... Pay for his gas. It, 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 um, it, I, I'm doing now more conferences, more apologetics conferences, and uh, things of that nature. Um, I, I've been, on, as you know, I've been on like multiple international trips since yeah. becoming president. So there's a lot of that sort of thing going on, which honestly, I mean, I guess personally, that's what I always wanted. I just don't want to lose the evangelism side of it. You right. know? And so any event, just like you said, you mixed the resurrection into a lot of the courses you do. Yeah. And so do I, I don't have a single book. I have eight books. Every one of them talks about the resurrection and gives a case for the resurrection. Right. But uh, in the same way, in my practice, I, I don't want to stop preaching. And so I mix that in with the apologetics too. But that's how it's changed. And so that's a good thing, I think. But it's bittersweet because I was I cut my teeth on preaching in you know little churches out in the middle of nowhere. And I still like to preach in little churches out in the middle of nowhere. Right. They just don't invite you anymore. They just don't want me anymore. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Or they think I'm... Uh, maybe they think... I think they think I'm too big for their britches or something, but I'm I'm the right size for your britches. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that was never a thing for you. You'd go, yeah. you know, either one of us will go anywhere at any time that our schedule's open. Yeah, you too. Si- yeah. In fact, you and I have a meeting coming up in January together, so that occasionally yeah. happens. Yeah. So we're in my office again because we started in the studio and then all of a sudden the construction started right when we started recording. Yeah, so for the foreseeable future, and I, if this is your first time listening to Trinity Radio, um, this is not our typical set, although in some sense it may be better than our typical set. We got a lot of praise for this. But we will be here for probably indefinitely. Uh, it'll, it, it will come to an end. We will once again move back to the studios, but it could be next week, it could be a year from now. I don't know how long it's going to take them to finish the construction on that side of the building. So. Yes. All right, so now that you know why, what we care about and what life is like for us, it's time to find out what life was like in the first century for Christians. Mm-hmm. So let's say a couple of things about this before... The first three centuries. Well, yeah, but we're going to start in the first century. Okay. So... Um, we're going to start with the big one? We're going to start with Josephus? No. Okay. We're going to try to do this somewhat in chronological order of release. Okay, so now... Uh, let me just go ahead and tell you that before we jump into this material outside of the Bible that talks about Jesus or the early church in general, we need to point out that a lot of the time when people criticize or when people want this material, it's because they think there's something wrong with the material of the Bible itself. And as we tell our students, you know, a lot of atheists and skeptics and people like that, they brush off the New Testament or they say, well, we're not going to consider that because that's Christian propaganda material. But here's the thing. We tell all of our dissertation students here, and any credible school will, if you're going to do a dissertation, what do you want? Do you want the, the fourth uh, earliest sources? Or if you have them, do you want to look at 
the primary sources. Right. And you want to look at the primary sources, and we have those. Uh, I'm not saying we have the original manuscripts. We don't have that. But we have the, the material of the primary sources. And the fact that it was written by Christians should not restrict a careful researcher from considering them. He should consider them. And so for that reason, uh, the Bible is the New Testament of the Bible is a great place to start if you're trying to do a history of Jesus. Yeah, I've or always found this see, it's not an argument that says because they are biased, therefore what they say is not credible. You know. Uh, that's like saying anyone who ever wrote an autobiography is obviously not telling the truth right. about what they wrote. Right. That's absurd. Nobody says that. Right. Uh, moreover, a lot of times when we when we think about so if you believe Jesus rose from the dead and you write about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's obviously going to come out a sounding bias. Hey, yeah. we saw this guy rise from the and, and, and it is. And the, and the first thing people it's, are going to say is uh, one of the charges against the biblical text, especially the Gospels, is it was not written by an eyewitness, and Paul had a vision, so that takes out Paul mm-hmm. and takes out all the Gospels, so you don't have a single eyewitness source. Is that true? Well, but here's the thing. Uh, no, it's not I true, am but... a bi- I, I am biased toward belief in Jonathan Pritchett's existence. Yeah. I, I'm biased toward that. Does that mean I'm a poor eyewitness as to whether <laughs> Jonathan Pritchett actually exists? Of course well, not. Well, no, but what they'll say is, they'll say is no, because... They'll say there's not an eyewitness. Right, because no, because Paul, all he says is that he has a vision, according to skeptics. That he right. didn't see... Although, the, leave it to them to try and prove, because they can't, that Paul never actually did encounter Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I tend to think if Paul is hanging out, uh, I mean, if Paul is in the Jewish leadership of the time, and he's around the temple a lot, and Jesus is often around Jerusalem and around the temple a lot, uh, it's, to my mind, impossible that Paul is not aware of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. And we would suspect he would have been, well, he would have been pretty young. So? It, it, the the conversion of Paul comes two years, one to three years after the death of Jesus. Right, but I mean, you know, and he's already in Jewish leadership. Yeah, so he's he's old enough to have encountered Jesus. Okay, what else? Well, I'm trying to think of objections. Okay, but the point. Well, what the point I was going to make first of all is uh, while you're thinking of that is this that when people want an example of because this is the ideal they want someone who can testify to the resurrection or testify to things about Jesus' life, but who is not biased toward Jesus' existence or the resurrection, which is something like, and I've said this before, it's like asking for eyewitnesses to a car crash that don't believe the car crash actually happened. If you you are aware of Jesus, of course you're going to believe Jesus existed. If you're aware of the resurrection, of course you're going to believe the resurrection if you you, uh, have evidence for it. So uh, it's unfair to ask for (laughs) non-Christian eyewitnesses to... Jesus or yeah. whatever. Uh, a few things for that. Uh, Paul, actually, if and in the letters that people accept as Paul, generally, I mean, we accept all 13 as genuinely, but even in the letters that skeptical, he says of himself that he rose through the ranks pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, he was out-distancing all of his peers mm-hmm. uh, as far as being, a, you know, a Jew and a Pharisee and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So... I don't see anyone disputing that. So what I'm saying is, is it is plausible that in and around Jerusalem, he was certainly aware of Jesus, certainly aware of the church. Um, I don't. Doctor Elliot says this a lot, and I absolutely agree with him. Okay, we have early sources earlier than, say, the Jesus Seminar. <laughs> you know, let's say um, 
Mark recorded Peter's words in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, why do we think that that's false? I don't think that it's false. I don't think it's false either. But, I mean, why we, as in, like, modern people, why would they say, nah, that's probably not right? Because it sounds too good to be true. Yeah, it's just picking a... <laughs> so, so, 20th century scholar, 19, even, yeah, 18, 19th century scholars and on and through the 20th century scholars say, yeah, Mark wasn't writing down what Peter By the way, him. for people that don't know... Yeah. Uh, a conservative view on the authorship of Mark is that Mark is writing for us Peter's account, yes. Peter's gospel, so to speak. Yes. Not to be confused with there actually is uh, a, a... The gospel of Peter, a, a, which yeah, is the not... the gospel of Peter, which has a cross that comes out of the tomb and, and starts speaks. talking like yeah. a Disney film. Right. <laughs> but that, that's, which is not written by Peter. Right. Uh, so yeah. if you want the gospel of Peter, the gospel of Mark is probably the gospel of Peter. Yeah. And there are good reasons to think so that we don't have time to get into here. Right. And so, but my point is, is to say that that's not written by, you know, because those, I don't know why modern scholarship thinks they know better than ancient people. That Yeah, that's a really good point. So there's no good reason to believe that Mark wrote Mark or Matthew wrote Matthew because it's not written in the manuscript. Okay, but if the early church thought those names should be attached to those documents, they're a lot closer to those events than you are. <laughs> right, you know? that's, that's my okay. point. Uh, so it's just, what was what, what it, chronological snobbery and all that kind yeah. of thing? Just... So, number one, uh, they you, are can, you can trust yeah. the Bible because... It's Good book pr- called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Or I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say you can trust the Bible for the sake of argument. You should go first to the New Testament because those are the primary sources on the life of Jesus yeah. and the expansion of the early church. But secondly, we actually have criteria for judging historical uh, writings and finding out what actually happened, and you can apply those to the Bible. And in fact, when you apply them to the New Testament, you get some really good results out of it. And for that, you can go check out, um, we mention him all the time, but Mike Lycona's work, because he's done a lot of work on this recently. Um, But, okay, but so so the point is, in looking at Jesus outside of the Bible, I just want to make a case at the beginning that you don't have to do that. The New Testament is sufficient. And in fact, it's the best body of literature to go to for the life of Jesus and the expansion of the early church. It's certainly the most exhaustive. Yeah. Now, from there, uh, do we have anything else? Turns out we do. And I, I don't care how we do this. I was going to kind of try to go roughly in the chronology of when these documents or statements were made, okay. uh, starting with the 50s AD. Sure. Uh, believe it or not... The 50s A.D. I mean, think about that. That's when the book of 1 Corinthians was written. Right. And yet we have already non-Christian, in fact, hostile to Christian uh, statements that indicate that there was this Jesus and some interesting thing happens at his death. Okay, so the first thing we would look at is this guy named Thallus. Not Thanos, Thallus. Um, This is the earliest possible reference to Jesus it comes from the middle of the first century, as I said, probably 55 A.D. Um, he was a historian, and we don't actually have what Thallus wrote. What we have, this happens a lot in ancient literature, so this is not weird. You have other people talking about Thallus. Yeah, where Thallus's stuff, he wrote something. Right. It's been destroyed. It was lost to us, and so we have somebody else that had access to it before it was lost to us, who interacts with it. In this case, as a matter of fact, it's interesting because. We don't have Thallus, and we don't have the guy who quoted Thallus. 
we have another guy who was talking about the interaction between Thallus and the guy who later quoted him. Right. So there was Thallus, then there was Sextus Julius Africanus, and um, and and then uh, we have who else? A Byzantine historian, Georgius Syncellus. So so that from the 800s, that's where we have access to this 800s AD. Yeah. But nobody doubts this. Right. Nobody doubts that Thallus. Well, I mean, really... some people doubt it, but well, okay. people doubt everything. That's true. When I yeah. say nobody, I mean it's nobody's serious. Minority. I mean, you'll have the the Richard <laughs> Carrier types, and uh... yeah, I don't. I'd like to know what he thinks about Thallus. I'm sure, he's thought about it, but uh, I don't care what he thinks about anything. So here's what Georgius quotes Julius Africanus as saying uh, from Thallus. In the third book of his histories, Thallus calls his this darkness. Now we're talking about the darkness at Jesus' crucifixion. Right. This, this I'm not saying it for you. I know you know. I'm saying it for them. This darkness, <laughs> Thallus calls this darkness an eclipse of the sun, which seems to me to be wrong. He says, "Okay." Now, if you're interested in this stuff, first thing you might think when you read this is, "Well, let's set this Thallus straight." But that's not the point. Yeah. Who cares? Because honestly, I, 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 you know, I'm kind of pausing momentarily every now and then in case you want to say something about this. But the, whether the sky went dark because of an eclipse, or it just even more obviously supernaturally just went dark, I don't care. It went dark at an right. important time. It's the timing, of which it. is interesting. So Thallus' right. objection is stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but, but this was a Thallus who's who's already now. The reason this is taken to be true, and, and that Thallus probably did say this, is because if Julius Africanus is wanting to trick you into believing that we have an early source about Jesus, he's not going to have that early source be an enemy. Right. He's going to have that early yeah. source saying, hey, the sky went dark. It's all true, you know? <laughs> yeah. So 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 that's why even a lot of skeptical uh, people actually think this is legitimate. But here's what it, te- what do you think that tells us, that Thallus is trying to defend against uh, this source of this dark sky? Well, because he is trying to reject what happened as it relates to what the Christian claim is. That's exactly why. And that's what... Uh, there, there's a... Um, one of the things that you look for is is attestation from opponents, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That gives it more legitimacy, not less. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, well, enemy attestation is one of yeah. the criteria you would use on historical documents. Um, uh, well, like a good example of that with the Bible would be, um, when Paul or James ends up converting to Christianity, um, or when, uh, well, it, it, let's just bring it closer to home. So if I know, if you tell me, wait a minute, enemy attestation. Okay. If you, if your mother tells me that you're an honest guy, mm-hmm. Okay, well, I would expect your mother to say that about you. Right. I mean, I don't know about your mother. Your mother might say no. He lies about everything. <laughs> but I would expect no, she, someone's mother to say good things about them. No, she'd say he could stand to stop being so honest and say everything. That comes but from, I'm not going to say this person saying. is your enemy. But if um, Dr. Zakariades, one of your former debating opponents in a very hostile debate, were to say about you, he's an honest guy. Well, now I have more reason to believe you're actually an honest guy because someone who we could, quote-unquote, your enemy said a nice thing about you. Yeah, but he loves me. He is such a big fan of mine. Uh, (laughs) Well, if so, then he'll hear this. (laughs) Uh, But I doubt we're going to get his response out of him. Um, Okay, so so, the point is, it also tells us this event of the sky going dark, Mm -hmm. 
however it happened, probably happened. Yeah. Otherwise, why is this guy trying to explain it away? Right. You know? That's pretty significant, I think. So already, just with our first source, we got an extremely early source written before some scripture was, most of the New Testament was actually written. And he's... Un- like, unintentionally, no, yeah, it's not. No, that's it's not <laughs> yeah. having to do with it. This, there's other, yeah. Exp- yeah. He's unintentionally testifying to the darkness at Jesus' death, right? And Jesus' existence, yeah, you know, and his death by Romans, yeah. Already, bam, really good stuff here. Okay, so let's just move on. Pliny the Younger, mm-hmm. and writing a letter to Trajan. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that, or is that all you think needs to be mentioned? Well, it's it's it, 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 read the read the text. Yeah, the okay. text. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me set it up a little bit more. Okay. So he is writing to Trajan. Um, yeah. I just saw the destroyed temple of Trajan on top of Mount Pergamum, uh, and it's it's he that was and there's footage of this, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll, You'll see it in yeah. the documentary. Yeah. But there's not much of the temple of Trajan because it's in pieces everywhere. Yeah. Thank God. All right. Um. He was Should writing be. to Trajan to see what the emperor wants to do about Christians oh. when Christians got caught. Because his point is that they will often reject Christ, uh, but true Christians, they won't reject Christ. Right. And they live morally acceptable lives and blah, blah, And they sing hymns to Jesus. And all mm-hmm. So let's read, like you said, the, let's go ahead and read the text now. But the point is, he's writing to Trajan. So what do you want to do about these Christians when we catch them? Yeah. Okay. Since I have begun to deal with this problem, he says, the charges have become more common and are increasing in variety, as often happens. An anonymous accusatory pamphlet has been circulating containing the names of many people. I decided to dismiss any who denied that they are or ever have been Christians when they repeat after me a formula invoking the gods and make offerings of wine and incense to your image, Trajan's image, because Trajan, this was the beginning of emperor, yeah, the, the emperor worship cult which I had ordered to be brought with the images of gods into court for this reason. And when they reviled Christ, I understand that no one who is really a Christian can be made to do these things. Other people whose names were given to me by an informer first said that they were Christians and then denied it. They said that they had stopped being Christians two or more years ago, and some more than 20. They all venerated your image and the images of the gods as the others did and reviled Christ. They also maintained that the sum total of their guilt or error was no more than the following. They had met regularly before dawn on a determined day and sung antiphonally a hymn to Christ as if to a god. As if to a god. (laughs) They also (laughs) took an oath, not for any crime, but to keep from theft, robbery, and adultery, not to break any promise, and not to withhold a deposit when reclaimed. These are horrible people. (laughs) (laughs) They made these pledges. They're not going to do anything wrong. Awful. Yeah, horrible people. What do you want to do about these horrible people, Trajan? Um. You know, so uh, the, so what do we learn from this? You think we learn it? We get an insight into the the confused persecution of the church. Yeah, you know, yeah, these are nice people. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Yeah, it cooperates a lot of the biblical texts about being good citizens. You know, yeah, and cause no needless offense and things like that. You right. know, so you get a lot of interesting stuff from that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it also tells us what their worship practices were like. They would yeah. get together, they would sing hymns, and they were singing hymns to Jesus as if he were a god. Now, that's interesting, Now, because this guy's not a Christian, Pliny, obviously. Yeah. So he doesn't know Christian theology. All he knows is what he's seeing and what he's hearing. And they're saying, he, he's noticing, they're treating this Jesus like he's yeah. a god. And, and, you know, which has always puzzled me about 
James Dunn when he when he wrote that manuscript about did the early church worship Jesus as God and he was leaning towards no. Yeah. So I, I what do you do with texts like this yeah. if that's your? If he that's became your a better, uh, more. Dunn is one of those guys who went from. I mean, we, we I give him grace. He went from Mister Academy sellout to in his later years has become a little bit more closer to the right. So Yeah. Well, you know, um, Trajan writes back and tells Pliny basically, okay, don't go looking for these people. Yeah. But if you if they're brought to you, you kinda have to do something. So ask them to drink wine and worship the gods and if they do that, leave them alone. Yeah. Know? In other words, I don't like the situation we're put in here either because I know these guys are nice guys, right? So, yeah. and ladies. So anyway, that's that's interesting. It tells us some very interesting things, and that's from one Pliny the younger. This is from hundred A.D. Yeah, you know, so this is pretty good. Uh, Suetonius, Suetonius. If you want to look it up, S U E T O N I U S. Suetonius. All right, here's what he says. He, Claudius, expelled the Jews from Rome since they were always making disturbances because of the instigator, Crestus. Right. And that's the end of the thing. Yeah, and and most people agree that he just got the word wrong. And yeah. he, was, he was meaning Christos, so. Yeah, instead of Christus, he says Crestus. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about that is, now this is important, and this is where there's a little bit of a dispute. Oh, by the way, on Pliny the Younger, there's enough negative stuff said about Christians that reject and stuff yeah. that it's not thought to be interp- interpolation by most people. Right. Suetonius, okay, there were a, a Greek name was Crestus, mm-hmm. so he doesn't know. We don't think Suetonius knew that among Jewish people, Crestus was not also a, na- a, a normal name. But in looking at the catacombs in Rome and, and looking at all the Jewish, uh, you know, uh, interments there, we see no. There's not one. That's Crestus. Yeah. So Crestus was not a name among Jews. That is a Gentile Greek name. Right. That Suetonius would have been used to hearing. It'd be like somebody being named John uh, among us today. Like, oh, I, everybody's named John these days. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting next to one, as a matter of fact. It's not my <laughs> okay. name. My name is so, Jonathan. So, but, but, uh, so, so he heard them talking about Christus mm-hmm. and thought, oh, there's some guy alive right now. He just knew they were causing trouble, quote unquote, according to yeah. him. Uh, or his informants, because of this Christus, okay, because of Jesus Christ. But he interpreted that to mean there's a guy named Christus who's causing trouble now. Um, And there's a lot of good, there's a lot, that's a whole thing to go into that we're not going to have time to go into. But But when you settle the dust on that whole big thing, it's a mention of Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus, yeah. Now, an interesting thing is, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but Christus... Means something like uh, what? What is it? It's, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, Crestus means something like nice, nice person or something. I have it written down here somewhere. But the idea is that it was often the case among Greek people later on to refer to Christians. Even some Christians would refer to Crestus mm-hmm. and to themselves as Crestians. <laughs> and and I think it's Justin Martyr like responds to this and does a wordplay because it means something like nice or good or moral and he's like even when they get their name our name wrong they're saying something positive about us so anyway that's kind of interesting so suetonius all right uh tacitus by the way suetonius died in 126 so this is all before 126 tacitus well 
Why did we? Why have we not gotten the Josephus again? You want to say that we're going to? Well, I'm going through Roman sources. Okay, now. okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay, and then well, yeah, that's a good point. I did. I guess I said that wrong. I said I'm going chronologically, and I am within but, the Roman sources. Okay. But then we'll do Jewish sources. Okay. Okay. Anything you want to say about Tacitus? Should I read the text and then you can comment on it? Yeah, well, everyone should read Tacitus. It's in the Greek books. Tacitus has a lot of research because we have a lot of Tacitus. Yeah. So here's the important from the annals, point from yeah. Tacitus. And you may notice in reading through Tacitus and things like this that a lot of the things that you know about church history, like the horrible things Nero did to people, to Christians, you get this from Tacitus. So here it is. Uh, but neither human effort nor the emperor's generosity nor the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered because, as we know, Nero starts a fire and blames it on the Christians, right? right? Okay, therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted as culprits and punished the most in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts, whom the crowd called Crestians. Mm-hmm. Crestians. Same issue here. The founder of this name, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Right? Suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition erupted again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city, Rome, where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere come together and become popular. Therefore, first, those who admitted to it were arrested. Then, on their information, a very large multitude was convicted, not so much for the crime of arson as for hatred of the human race. Derisian was added to their end. I don't think I need to read the rest of this. Yeah. Okay, but the, the point is, Interesting stuff here because what do we have? We have um, a mention of Jesus, obviously, uh, because it talks about uh, uh, the founder of this name, Christ, when it's talking about who the Christians were. And it's talking about how... Now, what Tacitus is doing is writing a history of some of the emperors to point out uh, kind of like bad examples, okay? Uh, and, And so he points to this where... The Christians were blamed for for this stuff uh, that Nero did, and it's clear that Tacitus doesn't think so. Doesn't think that they did do this. Yeah. But we also get that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Wait, executed under Pontius Pilate. He doesn't say crucifixion, but he says executed in the reign of Tiberius by, uh, by the procurator Pontius Pilate. And you know that is powerful stuff because again we're confirming. And notice the things that get confirmed in these. Yeah. Now, we're not saying that he knew this from firsthand experience, and every source, every every book that's written about this subject will point out a lot of these guys got this secondhand from what they knew about Christians or what they heard from Christians and these kind of things. It's not like he was there and saw the whole thing, the execution of Jesus. But what you do get is in the first century, toward the end of the first century, beginning of the second century, that's really early. You've got testimony that Jesus was executed during the reign of Tiberius by Pontius Pilate. Yeah, but I I actually think that we can claim more than that. Okay. Um, Granted, we don't have all the sources from antiquity that we'd like to have, but it's highly plausible that Tacitus got a lot of his stuff from earlier Roman sources as well. Yeah. Not just from Christians, or I want to point that out. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So so just because we don't have those sources Mm -hmm. that he got from doesn't mean that he only got it from Christian sources. Um, he, there's probably uh, r- uh, records from Pilate's uh, 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 
time in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. should they ever turn up, would be interesting to look at. You know, yeah. Uh, but that that we don't have them doesn't mean no such sorts of Roman documents exist. They probably yeah. did exist. We just don't have them. Well, and so. you make a good point because these books, if you like, the book I would recommend um, is and is considered the book on this subject uh, is well is called Jesus Outside the New Testament, An Introduction to the Ancient Evidence by Robert E. Van Voorst. Um, it's older, uh, older, it was written in the early 2000s, but it's considered the work on this issue. And they will point out, and a lot of other works will point out that, no, we actually do know that what you're saying is true. A yeah. lot of the stuff was kept, especially stuff dealing with Nero, was kept in archives in Rome that yeah. some of these guys would have had access to. Now, some of the characters, like Suetonius, for example, he probably got his information from uh, the police force, basically, that was out there. So if you were a young person in the 1990s, if you were ever curious why CD-ROM burning software was called Nero, that's why. I didn't know that it was called Nero. You don't know Nero's... Software? No, I never heard of that. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I know there little... used to be a software program that that you had to have on your computer to write to CD-ROM. Yeah, and it was called Nero. Huh? Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. And in fact, that's what most everyone thought about Nero because they don't know history and they had public school education. Now, what's cool now that I have Logos Bible software is we actually have archaeological evidence that testifies to Pontius Pilate as well. And on yeah. Logos, you can pull up the, the actual inscription and see where it was. I think it was Caesarea Philippi. Yeah. And you can spin it around and look at it. Yeah, it's pretty see. cool. So we now know. And that's just another embarrassment on the face of skeptical scholarship. That Waiting said, on that check, there is Faith life. There is no Pontius. There was never a Pontius Pilate and all these kind of yeah. things. I don't know how they say that when we have when we have Tacitus anyway, but um, you know now we know for sure because we can actually put our hands on archaeological evidence. Yeah, and see, here's the argument. This is why most even secular scholars, except for the lunatic fringe, mm-hmm. uh, Price and uh, what was the guy we mentioned earlier? Uh, that other guy that I mentioned earlier. What was his name? Carrier. Uh, Richard Carrier. And these, these loons, right? Because what they're saying is is that Jesus never existed, and then they have to say that all of these references are also references to a mythical person. Yeah, like all these Christians, it develops this myth, or it was foisted on them, or whatever path you want to take. Right. And th- they maybe really believed it, or they meant it spiritually or something, and then these guys took it to be you know, real. But yeah. then that still doesn't handle like things like phallus and there's yeah, other it doesn't examples. it doesn't handle the fact that it it's given how much ancient documents that we do have just from run of the mill stuff mm-hmm. that they also kept records and ledgers and and all this other stuff and so they're not getting back to what I said a minute ago they're not just getting this from well these Jews started this weird thing with this guy and. If we read what they say, Tacitus isn't getting his information that Pilate cruci- or executed Jesus from uh, claims made by Christians. Yeah, I don't think. No, but they will. There will be people that make that case. They'll say, "Well, Pilate would not have sent his dossier or written a letter to Rome about this event because it was such a controversial event." 
the death, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. We even see that in the Gospels. He's not yeah, comfortable. Yeah, I mean, but, you know? but what I'm saying but is... But that's an assumption. Yeah, that and, and, and not a good one. Yeah. Not a very yeah. good one. Okay, so then you have Lucian of Samosota. Uh, I'm not going to say much about him. Lucian was a satirist. He was writing about one Peregrinus who had been a Christian. In the midst of the discussion, Lucian talks about... I'm basically quoting yeah. here. Well, from, the only thing that I want to add to that is... Is, is Tacitus doesn't dispute Pilate executing this guy, Jesus. No, no, no. So no. That, that case that they would make just doesn't go anywhere for yeah. me. Yeah, well, but they would be saying he only knew about that because of the Christians talking about it. But this is not... This is not yeah, I don't, I'm not buying that either. Uh, plus, there's another little problem. The term he uses to refer to uh, Pilate is not the term that first century Jews living in Palestine would have used right. for him. So it seems like he got that information from somewhere else. Yeah. Okay, by the way, what I'm going to quote about Lucian of Samosota, Samosota is from the book I referenced before, Robert E. Van Voorst, uh, Jesus Outside the New Testament. Uh, Lucian was a satirist. He was writing about one Peregrinus who had been a Christian. In the midst of the discussion, Lucian talks about Christ in the context of his attack on Christianity, uh, Lucian's attack. He accurately reports several things about second century Christianity. He knows that Christians worshipped a God who was a man and one who was crucified in Palestine. They have a strong belief in the life in life after death, which affects their present life. Christians live according to his laws, especially brotherly love. You are all brothers. Christians have their own scripture. They are regularly read and expounded. They visit and help their imprisoned fellow brothers and communicate widely with each other. Um, so all that is stuff we get from Lucian. So th- that's, uh, again, painting you a picture of early Christianity, and it references Jesus here too, because it says that he was a god. They, early Christians thought of him as a god. You're getting all this interesting information about early Christianity that backs up what we know. Uh, but now this next guy, and I wonder if anybody's ever wondered, like when the Bible talks about people trying to make up excuses about events in the life of Jesus, you know, for example, this isn't one that this guy uses, uh, but, uh, you know, in the Bible we have, well, the, the disciples stole the body kind of an idea already yeah. starting to emerge. Uh, I've wondered before, is that just put in there by the Christians, you know, to kind of make it look like they had to make something up? Um, we actually have a second century source, Celsus, who is giving you answers that were floating around that were probably Jewish answers about the life of Jesus and the so-called miraculous things in order to explain those away. So exactly what you see going on in the Bible really was going on. Celsus, sometime in the second century, wrote an attack on Christianity, and we have it because it was quoted by Origen. He seems to give us a snapshot of Jewish and pagan polemics against Christianity. Jesus is portrayed as the son of an adulterous woman, whose carpenter husband left her pregnant because of the adultery. Uh, Left her while she's pregnant because of her adultery. Uh, She was pregnant by one Panthera or Pantera, rock fans, so-called probably because of the similarity of that name to the word Parthenos in the Bible, virgin. He claims that Jesus went to Egypt and learned magic and returned calling himself God. Now here's what I love about this because this is so different from the naturalistic criticisms we get today. Right. Celsus is aware, and whoever his sources, pagan and Jewish, who are, are fighting against Christianity, yeah. are aware that we're having a real hard time 
with the explaining away that Jesus did a bunch of miracles. Okay, right. so what do we say? Okay, that's easy. He just went down to Egypt. Yeah. Everyone knows down in Egypt they got all kinds <laughs> right. of magic. Right. He went and learned all that magic, and he brought that magic back up exactly. and made it look like he's God. Right. You know. Uh, so they don't have to mention it later when we get into the Jewish sources. Uh, one of the sources that Celsus is probably borrowing from uh, says that what Jesus actually did, like one theory is that he went to Egypt to learn magic because everybody knows they got magic. And then another one is that he learned how to use the divine name, Yahweh, because everyone knows that if you learn how to manipulate the divine name, you can do all kinds of crazy You can do all kinds of magic. And God let him do it for a time, but then finally he took that power away from him, just like Samson, and killed him. On the cross. That's how you handle that. That's what's that's, a, that's what really stupid, happened. Stupid, you know. Uh, so that's Celsus. Any comments on Celsus? I, I love I, it's 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 hilarious because it's it's more than what the Christians give you in the Bible that they're trying to run around and explain. Right. I also like it for other reasons because I'm not a metaphysical naturalist. Mm-hmm. That I actually, it's not that I just believe that he believed that there was really magic in, in Egypt to be learned. But, uh, you know, when you go back as far as uh, Moses uh, competing against the magicians in Pharaoh's court, mm-hmm. um, if you're a Christian, you it's a worldview-dependent thing. Yeah. You know, you yeah. get that, too. There's a lot of crazy stuff. So, so just for me, that's what I, yeah. I find that. I find that just uh, gets you some other stuff, too. Uh, whether you believe in that or not, they believed it. Mm-hmm. And it, it could it have been parlor tricks, maybe. Mm-hmm. But if you have a Christian worldview, it certainly doesn't have to be. That's right. Yeah. Supernatural stuff. Um, here's one that I'm telling out of order. I put it at the end because this is in my notes that I, I don't consider this one to be that great, even though I do have it in my book, Core Facts. Well, if we were going to go through like Lycona's view, he would have said Lucian's not useful. Right, and, right, and right. Dallas is and part useful. of the reason for that is yeah. he might remove people that are getting this from other from Christians. Yeah. You know. Um, Mara Bar Serapion, this is a first century source. Now this is a letter he wrote to his son. Yeah, he's a Stoic. Yeah. And he says, What else can we say when the wise are forcibly dragged off by tyrants, their wisdom is captured by insults, and their minds are oppressed without defense? What advantage did the Athenians now what he's gonna do here is gonna talk about how people have how groups end up killing their heroes, yeah. basically. What advantage did the Athenians gain by murdering Socrates, for which they were repaid with famine and pestilence, or the people of Samos for uh, by the burning of Pythagoras, because their country was completely covered in the sand in just one hour, or the Jews by killing their wise king, because their kingdom was taken away at that very time? God justly repaid the wisdom of these three men. Okay, we could go on, but, but the point is, Oh, they, and he says that the what the the, the new the, the laws that Jesus laid down. Um, that this is another thing you don't often hear early Christians talking about Jesus laying down laws, even though in one sense he did, and and even in the t- in the text of the Bible we do have the royal law, the law of Christ, or whatever. But early Christians we don't see evidence they talked like that very much. So when you see that, that's that seems like good reason to believe. Okay, now let's 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 move on from this to Jewish sources. Now, you, we could spend a lot of time talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's, you know, that's interesting because that's pre-Christian. And there is something to say about prophecies in the Old Testament that are also contained in the Dead Sea Scrolls that fit Christ. However, in my opinion, though there has been much controversy over the idea in the past, 
there is probably nothing in them about Jesus. I mean, aside from prophecies that are biblical right. prophecies. But you'll get all kinds of Jesus was a magic mushroom, and they point to things <laughs> in the Dead Sea Scrolls about a hallucinogenic thing, and you'll get other stuff about the um, uh, about uh, the it seems like their view of the Messiah. There's all kinds of interesting stuff in there, but I'm not buying it personally. Okay, so let's move on to Josephus. Probably the one that most Christians in the church, if they're familiar with this at all, would be familiar with Josephus. Now, you got two mentions in Josephus, and one of them, I think, is universally agreed upon to be an interpolation. The, the, and we'll, we'll talk about that when you read it. First, I want to read the full version, and then we'll talk about the interpolation and whether the whole thing is one or just some of it being uh, added and embellished, which is what I think. Okay. And I think, uh, I mean, even John Dominic Crossan accepts these as, uh, not, not every bit of it as authentic, but accepts that aside from interpolation, it was, it was President Josephus. So. Okay, so uh, Josephus died in 100. You had this dated at 90 A.D., um, uh, when he for the antiquities, yeah. yeah. So, we um, so Josephus was a non-Christian Jewish historian, um, really close to the events, and there in Jerusalem and Galilee and all that during the Great War, destruction yeah. of the temple and all that. So, um, because this mention of Jesus is short, and compared to Josephus' other passage on Jesus, remarkably uncomplicated. Uh, uh, where he just mentions the, the brother of James. Yes. Yeah, okay. So the yeah, setting that is... Nobody questions that, An, really. Well, there's part of it that question. Well, yeah. Ananias, Ananias, the high priest, rash in temper and usually daring, acted during a gap in Roman gubernatorial authority. Here's the thing, quote, He assembled the Sanhedrin of the judges and brought before it the brother of Jesus called Christ, whose name was James, and some others. When he had accused them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. Okay, so I think what you're saying is, I think the reason that this, there's, first of all, James, there's nothing in here that you would take issue with if you're a secularist, unless you just don't like it talking about Jesus at all. Right. And some have cast out on it because it mentions that he's the Christ, but that's not, but it doesn't. It, it says he's called Christ. Right. And we have, if you just don't like the idea of Jesus mentioned in connection with the idea of Christ, well, you're going to have to throw out all of these sources because almost all of them do that. And that's yeah. just everybody knew the Jew, the Jewish Christians thought this guy was the Christ. Right. He, he's not affirming that he's the Christ. He's stating plainly that he was called that. Yeah. He's not. He's and that's uh, you know that, that gets us in the issues of of some of the the larger quote about Jesus. Well, let's but, do that yeah. one now. Okay. So that's called the Testimonium Flavium. Yeah. And it says, around this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed it is right to call him a man. Right. For he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of the people who accept the truth with pleasure. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. He was the, he was the Messiah. <laughs> Pilate, when he... By the way, I am emphasizing the parts that I think are probably interpolations. Right. Pilate, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, uh, condemned him to the cross, but those who had first loved him did not cease doing so. For on the third day, he appeared to them alive again, because the divine prophets had prophesied these and a myriad of other things about him. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared. Now, you emphasize appeared alive to them. 
um, as if that's one of the things you think is interpolated. I disagree. Mm-hmm. I agree with Lycona because it, 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 he's not saying whether or not that was true, but it, it does confirm, it does explain why these people still loved him to this day, and it was the most famous claim about him. So on, on and I think Lycona's right. There's no reason that we need to get rid of the statement about the resurrection because number one, it's not a biased statement, and number two, it explains the thing. It explains why they wouldn't have abandoned him to the day. It makes sense of the context. You're right saying. now, all the other from. things you emphasize, I agree. They got they were in. Uh, well, in, let's let's walk through. Okay. So again, and by the way, we'll end on Josephus because yeah. all there is after Josephus is all the Christian extant writing, right? Um, and the rabbinic writings. Uh, I don't. Which I think they're historical documents and matter too. Yeah, but, we maybe we'll but, do a follow up episode. Yeah, but for the resurrection yeah. case, the, people and Jesus outside were. Typically well, looking for non-believing sources, right? That's yeah, well, most... but the rabbinic sources yeah. would be... But well, the, the Talmud, but, too. But, yeah, but the, thing, but the yeah. thing is, we'll just have to deal with them some other time yeah. if we deal with them. Or maybe this is... Well, I know Austin Long is saying, why aren't you talking about Clement's letter? Why aren't you talking about Christian early church father literature? Because yeah. this, this show has an apologetics flavor, and you're yeah. going to hear from all the skeptics. Yeah, of course they do. I prefer the Bible to what they say, you yeah. know. So, anyway... Right. But I'm with you, Austin. Well, They're... I am too. In fact, <laughs> in fact, honestly, the the book that I'm referencing here does deal with Christian sources. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, let's walk through. So the against interpolation. interpolation. Yeah. Here's the argument against the interpolation. This the passage calls Jesus a wise man, which, while complimentary, is not what one would expect a Christian interpolation to say, because the label was not at all a common Christian one. Josephus says the same about Solomon and Daniel, and something similar about John the Baptizer, whom he calls a good man. So we can keep that. So phrase. keep a wise man. That Jesus, if indeed it's lawful to call him a man, that's clearly that, that we'll get to that. Yeah. That Jesus is said to have been a worker of amazing deeds may be a positive statement, but the wording is not likely to come from a Christian. The phrase "amazing deeds" is itself ambiguous. It can also be translated startling or controversial deeds. And the whole sentence can be read to mean simply that Jesus had a reputation as a wonder worker, which as we've already seen with other sources. People accept that. He just went to Egypt to learn how to do the dark magic, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Or learn how to manipulate the divine name. According to the passage, Jesus was also a teacher of whom of people who accept the truth with pleasure. pleasure. Christian writers generally avoid a positive use of the word for pleasure because of its connotation with hedonism. And it is difficult to imagine a Christian scribe using it here about Jesus' followers. Also, Christian is referred to, Christianity is referred to as a tribe, which is not... Plus, I mean, but but his, Josephus' Roman audience, he's talking to, you don't have to get that out. I mean, you can leave that, that should be there because that's how you would normally talk to... That's right, that's the point. The Roman audience, This is against interpolation. Right, yeah, no, He would have said it that way. Exactly. Now, for interpolation, by the way... The word interpolation means it's Added been to it. messed yeah. with. <laughs> the wording of some sentences suggests that the whole passage may be a Christian forgery. The clause, if indeed it is right to call him a man, suggests that Jesus was more than human. This looks like a Christian scribe's correction of the Christological implications of calling Jesus only a wise man. The crux of the problem is the curt sentence, he was the Christ, leaving aside the issue of how in intelligible this statement would have been to Josephus' audience. This yeah. sentence looks like a confession of Jesus as Messiah. Right. And Origen I agree says with that I Jesus agree. did not yeah. believe Jesus was the Christ. Origen tells us that Josephus didn't believe that. Yeah. So so he wouldn't be... Okay, 
So I, I actually think that those parts are interpolations. Yeah. We agree. Yeah. So now John Meyer, who is an expert on this, uh, he has constructed, and a lot of people have, what he thinks it should look like. Yeah. And Van Voorst agrees with Meyer, and the only person that that I'm think is trustworthy who you've just told me would disagree with Meyer is a Lycona. little bit is Lycona. But I bet Lycona would largely agree with this. So he says it should be like this. Around this time lived Jesus, a wise man, for he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who had first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared. I agree with that, except I would put in the statement about the resurrection because... That he appeared to them. Well, yeah, that he appeared to them. Because that, number one, gives explanation to the readers why they didn't abandon him. Yeah. Right? And two, that was the central claim that they were making. So when Paul Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15... You know, he uses that language of appearance, right? Mm-hmm. He appeared to many, you know, mm-hmm. cases of 500 and so. Uh, that's the claim. Mm-hmm. That's not... Josephus is merely stating the claim as to why this phenomenon continues to the present day. It has nothing to do with him validating. And so I think Lycona is right to say that that actually should still be in there. And I think I, I, I somewhere in, in, in the notes that I made... I, I gave Lycona's version of how we should read it. If you want to pull that up real quick. So, I, so here's yeah. Lycona's version? Yeah, so read Lycona's version. Lycona's he likes. Version. Well, the, the one that he reconstructs. Okay. Because he thinks that some of the other scholars truncate it too much. Mm-hmm. The ones that, that accept it as legitimate except for the interpolations, he thinks that they trim it too much. And okay, so, so here's this. And, and now, they, there was about yeah. this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Greeks. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, reported reported he appeared to them alive again, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. Yeah. Okay. All right, so and he, and the only thing the I want to say... why... The only thing I want... So what do we get from Josephus? Well, we get a confirmation yeah. of... Um, the death of Jesus by Pontius Pilate. Yeah. We get the people worshipped him. He did amazing things. Basically, all the things necessary to to bring that historical Jesus really close to the Jesus of faith. Right. Right? And then from there... So, all right. Now, the only thing else I want to say about this, because uh, what we didn't talk about here, aside from the Christian material, is the rabbinic material. And we're not going to talk about that, except for just to say... 100% of it is negative toward Jesus. Yes. Um, and there's not much. And some people think that some of it is in code. Like it, like instead of saying Jesus, they say something else. Like sometimes he's referred to as Balaam uh, because Balaam was a deceiver. In the Old Testament, a guy who was paid to uh, basically curse the children of Israel, lead them astray, that kind of thing. And they, so that became a... That, that, that did become like a tag name for anyone who did that sort of thing. Yeah. And Jesus to them would have matched that. So people say, well, Balaam, um, uh, Ben Stada, a certain one, yeah. people like that. Those are keywords for Jesus some of the time. Um, it's really hard to establish that, except in one case. And the one case is the case that says exactly what Celsus, that we referenced earlier, says about Jesus. 
and they say it about Ben Stada and a yeah. certain one. Well, in that case, we know it's talking about Jesus because Celsus tells us that they thought that was talking about right. Jesus. You can't say that with the other ones, and the other ones are weird, okay? Now, why would they use language that's code language? Is probably because <laughs> at first they didn't want to make Jesus more famous. Yeah. And later they were being persecuted perhaps by Christians for saying bad things. So you want to change the naming there, the language there. So it makes sense that that would be the case. And, you know, uh, be careful feeling too angry at some of these people because even though they're wrong and they're saying some blasphemous things, they had endured a lot of persecution, and uh, it's understandable. Uh, The Toledot Yeshu, I'll say, is a uh, medieval writing all about Jesus from a Jewish perspective. My understanding is that at least in the 20th century, Jewish mothers often and fathers told their children about the Toledot Yeshu and the stories about Jesus, again, all negative and really exaggerated in weird ways. Um, in fact, that led many Jewish scholars to say there probably was a true document here that has just been obscured. Uh, but the earliest doc- document we had at that time was um, from the 11th century. But this scholar uh, a few decades ago ha- had one from the 10th century, and it was the same as all the weird stuff. So it sounds like it just always said all the weird stuff, right. which means it probably is too fantastic. Well, to be yeah, and, and so we have you have the the, the rabbinic <laughs> sources. Uh, you have artwork. Um, in addition to the Jewish literature, you also have like uh, artwork. Uh, of mockery of Christians. Like Alexamino's Worships as God is a picture of a guy bowing before what looks to be a person on the cross uh, with a donkey head. And okay. so, so this kind of mockery stuff, you find this kind of stuff in the first century as yeah. well. So yeah. what are they talking about? They're, they're making fun of Christians on behalf of this crucified person. Oh, and worship. another thing that's interesting to say, this will be controversial. It's one of those things, you know, the, the, that the, when Paul talks about it's folly to the Gentiles or folly to the Greeks, hmm. that, kind of, that kind of imagery. Well, one thing that's interesting is, to say that will be very controversial, I don't even know if I want to say it, but I'm a speaker of truth, so I'm going to say it is it's very uncool and not very politically correct today to insinuate in any way that the Jews killed Jesus, Yeah. right? But when you look at the rabbinic literature on this and stuff like that, they were bragging that they killed this blasphemer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's just I mean, a historical Paul was fact. bragging that he was persecuting the church. Right, right. So. But, yeah, but yeah. that's Christian literature, you know. So, but um, but the thing is, well, I mean, they, they, the Talmud talk, There's there's things in the Talmud about Jesus roasting in a barrel of poo that's steaming. You know, I mean, there's uh, that's yeah, just the, 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 the Jewish literature from early is not saying, oh, we didn't kill him. We didn't. You know, no, no. You know what? He he went down to Egypt to learn some magic. Yeah, it, His mom was an adulterer, and we killed that blasphemer. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what, right. We're, yeah, this is this is not to disparage Jewish people. This no, it's, not, it's about, nothing to do with that. Right, it's talking about it's talking about a particular few Jewish people at a moment in history. Right. That's if it. that bothers you, that's true of every kind of person. Right. That there was a point in their history where they a few of them did awful things. In fact, yeah. it's were obviously. Far grander than that. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so uh, th- that wraps up Jesus outside of the Bible as far as I'm going to take it. But as you can see, what we can draw together from this is that most of the features that are important to the, the gospel yeah. message, yeah, 
are uh, are confirmed to have been believed by Christians in the first and second century. Uh, and the major players in it are confirmed by even Roman sources to have existed. And, and that the Jesus never existed people are still quacks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know if people know that. We should just say that. Do you know that, like, okay, here's, here's a stat. I don't know if you know this stat. I just learned it recently. One, right now, 100% of teaching historians on the planet at accredited schools, 100% of teaching historians believe that Jesus existed and died by Roman crucifixion. So, so, so if you so run into I, I someone... So I Richard Carrier is not working right now? No, Richard, no, he's not a teaching historian. And he, unless that happened recently, and I don't know, he and Bob Price are Jesus mythicists, Jesus mm-hmm. deniers. Okay, but even Bart Ehrman argues against them and has debated Robert Price yeah. on that issue because that's crazy. So um, you know, uh, Matt Dillahunty says uh, he's waiting for he 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 thinks it might be true. He doesn't personally believe it, but he's waiting for it to be. He thinks it's not ready for prime time. But that implies that it will be ready for prime time. It will never be ready for prime no. time. It's ridiculous. Okay. Check out the Bible Bro Down. Check out Sociology 101. Check out The Narrow Path. Become a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary and get a whole lot more information on this subject in Dr. Pritchett's course on this issue. And if you'd like to contribute to what we're doing here, uh, we would certainly appreciate that. Is it, it still click up here yeah, in my click, office? click up here somewhere. Um, yeah. And uh, it will. You'll, you'll be able to give. If you're listening by audio... You can contribute at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. And hey, if you're not in our forum at the Trinity Radio, it's, it's a Facebook group, Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion. Uh, we have a great time in there, and occasionally we do a live, uh, not, not a live broadcast, but a premiere where everybody watches the new show together all yeah. over the world. To, to you join can be a part our Facebook group, all we do is we ask are you willing to subscribe to our YouTube channel? We don't make you do it and prove that you did it. We're just, if you say yes, you'll get in. Yeah, just by saying, you don't even have to do it. But if you do say yes, let your yes be yes, and go click the subscribe button, and then go back to your audio version of it. So um, You don't have to watch YouTube to subscribe to our channel. Just subscribe. It doesn't hurt. It takes a second. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode, and next week I will be out of town, but you'll still get the episode, and we're going to talk about why I'm a Wesleyan. I'm not saying I'm a Wesleyan. We're going to respond to a famous New Testament scholar, why he's a Wesleyan. So be here for that. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.